Welcome to Dan's Den Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. This episode is part two of a discussion about complementary and alternative medicines. In part one, or episode 010, my guest Matt Morocco and I went over a research article titled The Bright Side of Psychedelics, Latest Advances and Challenges in Neuropharmacology. In our first episode, we summarized the article and gave an abstract and highlighted some of the current research regarding psilocybin or magic mushrooms. Today's episode is a part two, a continuation, utilizing the same article, and we're going to focus this discussion on LSD compounds and its therapeutic and medicinal uses. Again, we're discussing a a review research article, which analyzes dozens of other studies. So today is pretty much just flying through some of the highlights, so there's not a ton of dialogue between Matt and I. In future episodes, we'll have more personal discussions with this, and we'll continue to go over some of these other compounds in the medicinal and therapeutic setting. Enjoy. So, yeah, this one, this whole article covered a lot of lot of chemicals, peyote coming from some some cacti, and then um, it talked about some of the fungus and plants that contain the molecule DMT. Um, I'd like to do some further episodes about that stuff because that's interesting. DMT is something that's in the human body and in most animals and a shitload of plants anyway. So it's kind of like obviously worth further study, but if it's something that's already in our bodies, it's kind of like, wait a minute, how is, how is this illegal? How is this Mm. a a schedule one or something? Um, but yeah, you're illegal. (laughs) We're all illegal. Oh no. Terrence McKenna, very, uh, outspoken explorer, author, writer in some of this stuff. He, he used to say something along the lines of, with DMT, everybody's holding. Everybody's got drugs on them. <laughs> Holding's a, what, a term from like 70s, 80s, yeah. like, like who's holding, who's, <laughs> who's got holding. it? But it's like with that, everybody's holding. So it's kind of like that, that weird paradox of, yeah, it's illegal, but it's part of your nature. Can't wait till we get to that topic because that's going to be fun. We get to, it's going to allow us to discuss like near-death experiences and stuff like that. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Can't wait for that one. For, so transition into LSD, um, th- this article talks about um, there's a, a classification of a fungus that has the same uh, similar chemical p- compound as LSD molecule that we're familiar with today. Um, so I just want to give a quick little background on that. Many people are familiar with the term LSD and acid. This article goes on to say the, the greatest impact on the central nervous system came up with the semi-synthetic synthesis of LSD deriving from lysergic acid. 1938, the chemist Albert Hoffman synthesized LSD for the first time in the Swiss laboratories of Sandoz Pharmaceutical Company and accidentally tested its hallucinatory and psychedelic effects since... What a happy little accident. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must have been crazy to not know what these things are capable of and then ingesting, like, I'm, I want to, we'll follow up on another episode with maybe specifically that, like talking about these chemicals in the lab and then a typical dose of LSD is talking about micrograms, so it's such a small amount. And then if if you ingest something thinking that, oh, like a milligram is a small amount, that's a thousand micrograms, you know, like that's that's a big day. <laughs> I know who. I, I, that's one thing I would. I wouldn't want to be the first guy. I wouldn't want to be the first guy to discover that. Do you think this is it, dude? This is how I'm staying forever. I mean, it's oh such a disassociative thing. We'll we'll go over some of the the effects here, but 
LSD has had a major social impact since the 1960s by profoundly influencing Western culture. The cerebral effects of LSD concern the emotional, ideational aspects, and above all, sensory perception. Colors are perceived more vividly, etc. These hallucinogenic effects affect the sight, hearing, touch, and perception of one's body. Furthermore, subjects who use LSD experienced introspective trips that enabled them to perceive inner problems and reality from other points of view beyond the usual schemes. So that's just a little intro paragraph here. In general, LSD users have reported that the ingestion of about 75 to 150 micrograms of LSD profoundly alters their state of consciousness, leading to euphoria towards effective people and greater introspective capacity. Users showed altered sense perception in their bodies with hallucinations and synesthesia lasting up to 10 hours. Um, so and it goes on to talk about some of the specific areas of the brain that they, they know that this has affected. Um, I don't want to get too much into that for those people that are super interested in that. That's all here in the study. Um, it talks about LSD is not a molecule that selectively binds to specific receptors, and therefore the understanding of its mechanism of action is still not entirely clear. Part of the limitation of some of these studies, it just doesn't really get, you know, like we talked, we touched on earlier, hey, we don't know that this is going to this specific receptor, so contraindications for other medications is definitely a concern. Uh, they do know that LSD also has a high affinity for serotonergic receptors, specific receptors here, but um, I don't want to go too much into that. So the section on here called Therapeutic Hypotheses, LSD has been tested to treat stress-induced anxiety-like behavior in mice, particularly male mice exposed to chronic restrained stress were treated daily with 30 micrograms of LSD. I should say 30 micrograms per kilogram of body weight. So they made it kind of um, a little bit more specific to try to rule out effects on body mass and stuff mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. The treatment was able to prevent the stress-induced anxiety-like behavior. LSD has been also demonstrated to exert antidepressant effects in rodents and to promote neuroplasticity in certain uh, neurons in rats. A single administration of LSD was able to significantly reduce depressive-like behaviors in rats five weeks after treatment. A lot of times we'll say like, okay, rats and mice, great. There's definitely some connection between a lot of the, the same neurochemistry and biology in some of, in, in these mammals compared to us. And it's not to just, yeah, totally negate the fact that, oh, it's just done in, in rats and mice, but there's definitely some, some good, uh, you know, effects of that. I guess that's somewhere. Additionally, repeating LSD administration for 11 days was able to reverse deficits in active avoidance learning, a model of depression. Cannabidiol, or CBD, seems to exert a synergistic effect in combination with LSD on the antidepressant effect in mice. So interesting there because CBD is very common nowadays. You see it in beverages. It's kind of, um, of, of a readily available chemical that is an extract of cannabis plant. So it's non-psychoactive. It's been used uh, for a lot for just general anti-inflammatory effects. Um, I think there's some maybe anecdotal evidence people might use it for sleep or just general stress sometimes like that too. But th these are chemicals that our bodies already have receptors for. The, the, 
the endocannabinoid system is a well-studied part of the brain that some of these things act on. So I thought that was interesting to see that they, they did um, administration of CBD and it seemed to have a synergistic or kind of boosting effect in combination for antidepressant effects. An additional potential therapeutic application of LSD concerns its positive effect on social behavior, which can be applied in the context of mental illnesses, dysfunction, and social behavior, such as autism spectrum disorder and social anxiety disorder. All right, so yeah, in healthy human subjects, neuroimaging studies have demonstrated that LSD induces increases in functional brain connectivity, um, and they talk about specific regions here. But they've, um, like Matt touched on earlier, some of these fMRI studies are showing we can visually see like a minute by minute change in some of these. Never mind like the, the pre and post studies too, where they can actually capture these images. And again, you can search for the, the term like LSD fMRIs and then click on images and you'll just see like a bunch of different brains. And typically like they just show, um, you know, like color changes and Every study is probably different for what those colors indicate, but it's still cool that this stuff is easy to find. Mm -hmm. um, different clinical trials reported a positive effect of LSD in the context of alcohol-related disorders, and um, a lot of meta-analyses and randomized controlled trials concluded that a single dose of LSD is associated with a significant decrease in alcohol misuse. Um, super critical there, because when we were talking about Maybe uh, some of the more common medications now are either daily, weekly, or more long-term rather than, you know, sometimes we can find a good effect from just a single dose. It seems like it seems like with the LSD, it's similar to the psilocybin where they know there's a correlation, but they don't know exactly the, the causation of what. Is that right? Or is there anything there getting more into the causation of what LSD is doing to stopping the craving, you know, the effects. Does it dive into that, or is it more surface, same like with psilocybin? Yeah, that's a good question. It does provide a link here to the original study that they pulled that from, but in, in the context of this one, this is just a kind of a review, mm -hmm. and these reviews are doing a similar thing of what we're doing, of trying to just summarize. Um, only one recent clinical study investigating potential therapeutic use of LSD. Um, this one was a double-blind, randomized, active placebo-controlled pilot study in 12 patients suffering from anxiety associated with life-threatening diseases. So this is to kind of circle back to what we were talking about for quality of life type thing too. Small sample size. I noticed that right off the bat, but double-blind, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's a very important part. LSD was administered at the doses of 20 or 200 micrograms during psychotherapy sessions, and anxiety was measured via the state trait anxiety inventory. That's a well-established, used in, in a ton of different studies. So that's one that's been validated and is appropriate for this. And, you know, we, we acknowledge that it's self-reported, but for, for some of these psychological effects, that's the best we can do for some of this mm -hmm. stuff. LSD treatment induced a significant long-lasting, up to one year, reduction in both trait and state anxiety. Trait anxiety is more of like, your typical, not long-term, but, but more of like a behavior and kind of view of the world rather than your state anxiety is kind of like moment to moment, maybe more mm -hmm. situational dependent. So that's good that it had effects on both of those because some of them will measure, oh, okay, this changed um, maybe this person's perception about a particular event. But then the other side is the trait anxiety is something that 
just overall reduction in just an anxious state of mind and, and kind of um, projection there. LSD has been reported to help patients with serious illnesses manage their emotions related to their life-threatening state of health, which reflects in decreased anxiety and depression and an increased acceptance of their potential death. So, you know, we talked about just quality of life and then the potential effects that that could have on extended family members of that individual too, just for managing all of that. I'd imagine, you know, getting to that point that that's going to be a super stressful situation for people. So if it, if the individual facing this life threatening disease feels more calm about it, that could maybe make the people supporting them around them feel a little bit better and Mm. affect their day-to-day lives too. Right. Safety and tolerability of repeated um, low doses of LSD have been tested in a clinical trial. Um, this one, they, they used five micrograms, 10 and 20, administered every four days over a 21-day period to older, healthy adult volunteers, and LSD was shown to be well-tolerated with no adverse offense, events occurring. So that kind of touches back to our previous episode about the microdosing because all of these doses in that study fall under the category of microdosing. 20 might be on the higher end, but 5, 10, and 20 micrograms every four days. What were they studying? Were they just studying if there was any adverse effects? Was that the purpose of the study? Did I misunderstand that? No, you're right. Yeah, just safety and tolerability um, have been tested in a clinical trial. Nice. Um, and there's another link to, to that study that this review shows, so maybe they'll talk more specifically about some of the stuff that they measure on there. Yeah, well, that's that's important. That's an important part of, you know, and that's that's good because that's different as contrary to what was reported with the psilocybin studies. Because with the psilocybin studies, there was a large number, 77% across all dosage groups that reported adverse effects. It'd be interesting to see, too, um, in our previous episode, Matt talked about some of the, um, there was a study evaluating novice or naive users of Mm. these substances and experienced users and some of the differences there. So I'd like to see if maybe that's um, some of the research or the data from those adverse effects, if they controlled for that part of it. Because I could imagine somebody with experiences would know that, yeah, if I do this for the first time, these adverse effects, yeah, I can definitely measure them, but would people still report them if they knew that that was kind of part of the treatment, you know? Could, I mean, well, but, but the point is, like, if they didn't report it, then they wouldn't, you know, like, if they, I get what you're saying, but if the experienced person just accepted it as part of the, it still has to be it, reported. It still exists, yeah. It still exists. It's still an adverse effect. And I could say even from experience that today, like, every time I, any time, if I were to ever take mushrooms in the future, I would have, there would be a, a timidness a fear of getting, you know, violently sick and thrown up everywhere. It's happened on so many occasions. Uh, the dizziness, yeah, I guess that's a, the only thing I haven't reported on this would be like, you know, suicidal ideations. But I could see that maybe super bad tripping to the point where you wanted it all to end, something like that. I'm not sure. That's not really a suicidal ideation. That's more like... I guess under the self-injury where you, you self-harm because you want this to stop. Suicide ideation is more like I should no longer be exist. Um, so that one's unique. But the nausea one, yes. On LSD, never. Never experienced nausea. Not even once. Not even for half a second. And even with the, the psilocybin, we know that like different 
ways of consuming this stuff too might affect mm-hmm. the nausea because okay. you know there, there's ways where people might make it into a tea grind it up into you know some kind of shake um that's a little bit beyond the scope of what we're talking about today because anecdotally some of the grinding up of of these uh substances could maybe potentially affect how it's bioavailable in the body again i don't know there's a lot of factors that go in with that um so wrapping up with the the lsd here this is just more for for future stuff so on the nih portal or national institute of health 33 clinical trials are currently ongoing studying the potential therapeutic effects of lsd in the following neurological psychiatric disorders migraine anxiety major depressive disorders adhd and attention deficit disorder addiction alcohol use disorder bipolar disorder methamphetamine dependence drug abuse alzheimer's disease huntington's disease and both acute and chronic pain then this was accessed on 15 december 2022 so again pretty recent data with this but with with such a wide potential for some of that i mean like we said it'd be interesting to see six months a year from now two years from now where this stuff goes considering the strong evidence that has emerged in the last decades the safe and well-tolerated profile and the current renewed interest in psychedelics for potential therapeutic use in psychiatric disorders new research and new clinical studies on lsd as a pharmacological tool are needed so again summarizing that hey we need to just keep diving into this stuff but the fact that they've already showed that 33 studies are showing potential for kind of narrowing down some of these effects and i mean between all of those dude imagine the percentage of just americans that are fall into the category of one of those i mean i think all of us might in one sense or another or definitely know somebody that does um so interesting stuff with that dude i mean the the conclusion of this review but i don't know can you think of anything that we should uh touch on before we kind of like wrap that part up well this was a good review it 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 did it does kind of fit as like the part two to our last like research study but this was definitely done a little differently specifically like the, the 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 source materials that we chose much more of a zoomed out overall arching you know uh impression of what's going on with the current events of psilocybin and these various uh hallucinogens but it probably presented, it may have presented a more accurate picture of where the overall idea and hypothesis of these are. And it's, it's all looking positive. Mine showed when we did it before, it was a little more grim because it was digging into the specifics of what were they studying and finding like they weren't finding anything there um, or anything of substance with these things. So, that's maybe the only thing that was missing is we didn't present, you know, what did it show in the study to, that led to it. Um, that was, you know, but with with more due diligence, maybe we can dig into that as well. We kind of took the study at face value because it was a very reputed source um, and let them just kind of do the summarizing for us. And we took them for their word. Hell yeah. Um, and, and that's an important part, though, just because, like you said, there's so many studies to look at. And if you know, we could do an episode for each one, but yeah. I think just for kind of brevity and just like a more all-encompassing view, some yeah. of these reviews and, and kind of meta-analyses are the way to go for some of this stuff. Right, and we just don't want, to, like, we got to be careful because, like, when we zoom out, it like this one shows, it does give kind of a better overall representation of where it's currently at, like I just stated, um, but we don't want to slip into 
we become headlines. We're given just cliff notes. You know what I mean? We don't want to give you guys, the viewers, just cliff notes that lead you astray. Um, so even if we are giving a summarized version of it, we're trying to make sure that we don't lose the nuances in it. We're on most of these podcast platforms now, and uh, that was a great point, Matt, is that this isn't to say like we're we're fully pro this stuff. It was just a way to kind of maybe spark some interest or for those people that are, you know, leaning one way or another to take this information and then do your own research. Like everybody has specific medications that we might be on or different lifestyle factors that are going to affect all of this. But this is just a way to say that there's some data available showing that this might be beneficial or in some cases, maybe not effective for some people. So the conclusion of this whole thing, um, essentially just saying like more, more studies are needed and that the understanding of the mechanisms of the compounds of these studies is not trivial. It's something to take seriously and that that's what some of these studies are trying to do. These compounds represent the main families of psychedelics and despite being very diverse from a chemical point of view, it has been shown that they have many aspects in common. Their use during religious and shamanic rites represents an example, and previous observational studies have shown that guided administration can show different effects. This translates into relevance when considering such compounds as therapeutic options. The differing responses to psychedelics that have been responsible for the observed contradictory results and that are closely related to the environment in which the assisted administration occurs. So that's your old set and setting. They can find that some of these things have wildly different effects depending on the, the setting that they're administered in. So along with the other things to take into consideration with this stuff is it really does matter where you do it and the kind of mind state that you have when you approach it. Um, just to summarize again, another aspect shared by all the psychedelics discussed in this review and that may represent a major pitfall for compounds to be developed as drug candidates is the absence of a known specific target. Additionally, a crucial point, which is related to both cultural and legislative aspects, must not be ruled out. The inclusion of psychedelics among the substances of abuse has made, and still makes, pharmacological research on these molecules difficult. So again, the, the, the schedule one of some of these is a huge barrier to moving forward with some of this and severely limits some of the, the research available and even just whatever certain laboratories or clinical trials are able to do, depending on where you are, is a huge uh, kind of drawback. Nevertheless, the scientific community is currently looking with hope to the many clinical trials of psychedelics that have been developed for the treatment of depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, autism, neurodegenerative disorders. It must be pointed out that many issues need to be addressed before considering the development of the compounds in this context bioavailability, purity, and all of these things need to be taken into effect because the fact that they're illegal or, you know, there's certain things around them, we don't know that every single dose or, you know, versions of these are going to be the same. So that's another kind of uh, drawback. Remember one of the ways they skirted around the substance one thing by doing the self-blinding study? And they had people bring in their own drugs and their own placebo. <laughs> yeah, that, which is wild. I mean, <laughs> whatever you got to do for science, man. Yeah, <laughs> and and I'm glad that that made it all the way into like a scientific got publication. <laughs> That's yeah. great, dude. That's fantastic. Note that the low dosage microdosing of psychedelics in medical assisted care during the pharmacological treatments 
are inseparable requirements for appreciating the therapeutic effects of these molecules. The scientific community must play a, a crucial role in the coming years to better define the pharmacological action and disseminate to society the therapeutic limits, safety, and risks associated with psychedelic therapy. A strong cooperation with psychiatrists, clinicians, psychologists, pharmacologists, and chemists to map out the future of psychedelics in medicine is crucial. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dan's Den. Don't forget to follow and turn on notifications so you don't miss our latest releases. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it so we can reach more people. Also, check out our other episodes. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.